Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. But it's a name you don't forget. Carmine Calzanetti is a Queens name, kids. And St. John's is in Queens. And he was the lead guard for three years. And that was thrilling for me to meet him. Very happy you made it out of the attic. Yeah. Did you get a nice glass of Sancerre where there's some good hors d'oeuvres? I didn't eat anything, and I had a couple of sips of a glass of wine afterwards and got out of Dodge as quick as I could. Was it a sippy cup? No, it was, you know, I just, I didn't, (laughs) I, I felt I should leave. The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. It's a Memorial Day show. We never do a Memorial Day show. Why am I doing a Memorial Day show? Every year at Memorial Day, I play at Columbia Country Club. I play in a tournament with Team Coco with Courtney Fremming the great Arch Campbell and Pete Creighton, and we play. And one one year we even won. Often we get shop credit. But I'm doing this show today on Memorial Day because I have PTI. For the first time that I can remember, there's a PTI show scheduled today. Usually we get off Memorial Day and the 4th of July and Labor Day and Christmas and New Year's and Thanksgiving, and you can count on that. I don't know who made the schedule this year. It was made months ago. Some bozo made it and put us on Memorial Day, so I'm actually working, <clears throat> which doesn't enable me to comfortably play in the golf tournament. I could play in it, but I wouldn't be starting my work at a period of time where I'm comfortable getting ready for the show. So I asked Michael to do me a favor to play with Team Coco instead of me, and he's doing that today, and he's, you know, I hope he does, I know he'll do better than I would have done, but he also has far less strokes. He doesn't get pops on 15 holes like I do. He doesn't get any pops, his scratch player, even though he hasn't played in a long time because the kids. But he's out there doing that. So we are here. Um, I I take Memorial Day seriously. I'm not going to go through a whole long thing here, but I take Memorial Day seriously. Uh, And I was gratified to see on SportsCenter this morning that uh, Alejandro Villanueva, who was an offensive lineman for many years with the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I don't know where he's playing now, they did a whole piece about him in Memorial Day because he's a vet, you know, and I like when, when that stuff happens as long as it's not either overly sad or overly schmaltzy and right. in the hands of the wrong people. Those pieces can be that way. This was a good piece. Um, I got a note, not a note, Jared called me the other day on the su- subject of people you've sat next to on a plane. And Jared said that some years back he was on a plane and he was reading the New York Times. And there was a piece in the New York Times about Jerry Stiller and Ann Mira, who were married and who are the parents, or were the parents. I don't, I don't think Ann Mira is still with us. I think Jerry Stiller may still be with us, but I'm not sure. No, he passed away. Okay, so they're both yes. not with us. But they are the parents of Ben Stiller. And it was a piece in the New York Times about them and their comedian, actor, son, Ben Stiller. And Jared's reading this piece. He's completely engrossed in the piece. He puts the paper down and looks up, and in the seats across the aisle from him are Jerry Stiller and Ann Mira. <laughs> and he looks at them, and they know he's been reading this piece, and they just <laughs> nod to him. Yeah, that's us. Isn't that great? That's phenomenal. Such a, such a great piece. Um, what did I do yesterday? I watched some television. Played some golf. I watched some television. I watched, because I like to watch, the Indianapolis 500. I tuned in and out of the Indianapolis 500, but they had a restart towards the end, just like a NASCAR race when they give you two laps at the end. They gave you two or three laps at the end. It was really exciting. 
Yeah, it's like a flat-out um, sprint. I think Marcus Ericsson won, a Swedish driver. Yeah, it's total sprint. It was exciting. I don't, I don't know that I can say anything more than that. I mean, if we talked about it on television after, did you find it exciting, Tony? I would say, yes, I did. And I have no other expertise, <laughs> but I found it exciting. I will, say, I will tell one story. I'm not going to talk about the Nats. I probably should talk about Scotty Scheffler and Sam Burns, but I'm not. I'm walking the dog the other day. Um, four or five blocks from my house. A car pulls up to the right-hand side of the road. A guy gets out, comes over to me. There's a guy getting out of a car to talk to me. It turns out his wife is driving the car. She's in the car. They're still, the car is on. He says, I'm Alan from St. Louis. I go, hi, nice to meet you. He said, I just wanted you to know this. I know all about the arch. I know you like the arch. I know you think it's fabulous. I said, I do. I sure. think that the two most wonderful things in America that I've seen are Niagara Falls and the arch. They've mesmerized me. I said, I haven't seen the heads ever at South Dakota. Don't think I'm ever going to see them. I've seen those. It's, yeah. it's impressive. I, I would like to see the arch. I haven't seen that yet. No, it's in St. Louis. It'll be there when you get there. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> anyway, Alan from St. Louis, he gets out of the car and he tells me, that he was there when the arch was being built. And he was there when they were about to put the arch together. In other words, there's a south side and a north side. And those were constructed separately. They were going to meet in the middle in the curvature that makes the arch the arch. And what Alan said to me, and he wanted me to tell this on the air, what Alan said to me was that the people who built the arch didn't take into account that the south side was in the direct sun all the time and got heat from the sun. And so when they went to fuse the two together, the south side was higher, taller than the north side because of the expansion having to do oh, with the sure. heating. Right. So he said they pumped in millions of gallons of cold water <laughs> to reduce the size of the arch on that side. Right. To be able to put it together, south side and north side, and put the capstone on top. And he wanted me to tell that story. I'm telling that story because I thought it was pretty cool. That's very cool. It's brilliant. I mean, I, I wouldn't know how you would get all the water up there, I guess. I don't know. I, don't, I guess there's a guy, a guy <laughs> hanging out of a window, <laughs> right. and he's spraying. I have no idea. I didn't ask. It, it seemed so wild to me, and they popped in the crown, and that's that's how the arch was. I made. would have loved to have been there for the discussion when they first tried to put it together and be like, "Well, what happened here? It doesn't fit." Yeah, what happened? <laughs> it's not going to make it. That would be like if you do the Intercontinental Railroad and you go, oh, "The tracks don't connect." <laughs> exactly. Oh, just... Promontory Point. They don't actually connect. Yeah. So that was Alan. A little scary for me. A guy running out of a car. Yeah. You I am to... Alan from St. Louis, but pleasant, very pleasant. His wife, pleasant, very nice. Anyway. I want to read this uh, from Peter from Bruce Lawling. I'm calling this a David Aldridge moment. This past weekend, I was listening to the Red Sox radio call of a game one of a two-game doubleheader between the Sox and the Orioles. Perfect track backdrop as I worked on a few things in the yard and enjoyed the slow pace of baseball on the radio and the stories of current and past players and events that fill the time in between pitches, interrupted only by the audio picture that occurs after the familiar crack of the bat. New England treasure Joe Castiglione and relative newcomer Will Fleming. We know Will Fleming. Will Fleming and his brother listen to this show. Okay. They're both wonderful announcers. I'm pretty sure about this. I hope I'm right about this. Uh, a new, relative newcomer, Will Fleming, were on the call, and then it happened. They had wandered down a rabbit trail 
of where the hitter was from and then what past players were from there. Someone they discussed was from Maryland and quickly Fleming, who may have sat on this tidbit for a few years. He's from, I'm pretty sure he's from Northern Virginia. Has to be. And he read me as a kid and I'm pretty sure I've met him. In fact, either he or his brother did the Binghamton Northwestern game. Oh, when we were in Chicago, oh, in Chicago we for that. Okay, right. yes. He moved the discussion very specific and shared this fact that the squire, Jack Ken Cook, had named a section around his football stadium, Ralph John, for his two sons, Ralph and John. Right. That's right. They, they, he wanted to have a dateline, and the dateline was Ralph John, R-A-L-J-O-N, Ralph and John. And then it happened. Fleming quoted the former Washington Post columnist, Tony Kornheiser, who quipped in a column criticizing the name, quote, lucky for us, Cook didn't name his kids Peter and Enoch. <laughs> yeah, I said that. It's probably the funniest line I ever wrote. Made me happy. Needless to say, Castiglione passed on doing the conjunctive math. The meaning quickly ended. Mr. Kornhard, you used to write pretty well. I did. It's a great line. It is. By the way, also, we shouldn't overlook the fact that the Squire was also a nickname that you, you gave Oh, out, sure, right? sure. Yeah. Like the Danny. <laughs> Dan Snyder, the Danny. Yes. Yeah, the Squire. Uh, Jack Ken Cook. I called him Squire. He loved me. Yeah. He loved nobody. He loved me. I got along great with Jack Ken Cook. And he was a great owner. He really was a great, great owner. owner. Three Super Bowls, yeah. So I also have this very, very, and I can't emphasize this enough, very long email. Yes. Three pages worth of an email from Jaden, J-A-D-Y-N, Welts. And it says, to whom it may concern... Good evening. My name is... Good evening, I guess. <laughs> My name is Jaden Welts. I'm a Division One student-athlete at Binghamton University in upstate New York. To extent... I think she means extend, or he means... I don't even know if it's a, a man or woman. Jaden, I don't know the name. To extend the introduction to myself, and always, always proofread. Oh, I went through this the other day. <laughs> yes. Always proofread. Always. To extend the introduction to myself, I'm currently enrolled in the School of Management at my school, and I'm a member of the women's basketball program here at Binghamton. Although I'm originally from a northern town in Ontario, Canada, I decided to attend Binghamton University with a great interest in receiving a great education while being able to pursue a playing career as well. It's a great school. So happy that you came down, came south to go to Binghamton. Sure. Today I am contacting this page as I would like to bring a potential sponsorship opportunity to the attention of Mr. Kornheiser, the co-host of PTI. As I know, Mr. Kornheiser is an alumni of Binghamton University, Harper College, and is a strong supporter, supporter of the Canadian fan community. Although I think I'm a hardworking, diligent student, I would like to bring Mr. Kornheiser's attention to a different sports program in Binghamton's athletic department, specifically a young athlete on this given team with remarkable potential. The men's golf team at Binghamton recently participated in the Big Sky Conference Tournament during the end of last month. I, I know, because I shouted out to a kid. As Mr. Kornheiser mentioned quickly at the end of a PTI episode, one of the team's members had a top 10 finish. I thought he finished second in this tournament. Wow. Not top 10, second, I believed. At this tournament, the team recorded their best overall score in program history. One of the members on the team, this is not the kid I talked about, Sean Colella, a freshman and newcomer on the roster, was a part of this record-breaking team throughout the season. Having a top five finish at one of the team's events earlier this year held at Prospect Bay Country Club in Graysonville, Maryland, and many other notable appearances, Sean Colella is certainly a key factor to this growing Binghamton program. By the way, did... Women's basketball, so Jaden is a woman. We would think, yes. Yeah, I didn't read that first. I read that, skipped over it. So, so Jaden. Yes. Getting back to you. Over the course of many years, Sean Colella, among his many teammates, has been putting in numerous hours into their development of young, successful golfers. Between managing the st stresses, spelled wrong, of everyday student responsibilities, he and his teammates have also worked tirelessly to perform both mentally and physically on the golf course as well. Okay. You play golf. My son played golf. I get it. 
The reason I'm contacting this page is to bring a potential sponsor opportunity for Mr. Kornheiser with regards to the men's golf program during the 2022-23 season. Although I understand that much may not be able to be done by Mr. Kornheiser, I'd like him to know that the golf program does not receive the recognition or funding it needs or deserves. If there's any way Mr. Kornheiser can support this program or even support Sean Colella during his athletic career, I know it would be significantly appreciated by the athletes and myself as well. Then it goes on. Believe me, it goes on. So if I take this correctly, uh, Jaden Welts wants me to do name, image, and likeness for Sean Colella, I, right? I, yes, even though I'm not sure quite how name, image, and likeness stuff works. And I give them money. Oh, just, this just, is how it works. You just give them money. Name, image, and likeness allows athletes to be given money and by it, anybody. Right, you just give them by cash. By anybody. Yeah. Cash, straight cash, <laughs> homie, if you want to. Whatever you want to do. Would you get, like, you know, on the back of the uniform? I know what, what they don't wear uniforms. Well, they, they wear a golf shirt. Good, on his bag. Yeah, on, on his, his bag. bag. Could you just say Kornheiser? I wanted to say on his bag, <laughs> I am sponsored by Tony Kornheiser. <laughs> that would be great. That's what I want. Yeah. I'm sponsored by Tony Kornheiser. And by the way, if he, if he, if he shoots, if he doesn't break 80 in the tournament, He's out. <laughs> That's the bar. He's out. Right? 80. I'm yeah. not, not going to be tougher than that. It seems reasonable. You don't break 80, you're out. Yeah. I find this very, very gutsy. <laughs> it is to a gutsy. call me up, but not call me up, to write me an email and say, this is what you ought to do. Yeah. You ought to sponsor this kid. He's not even her. He's <laughs> just some other kid. Sean Colella. It, it is it is a gutsy move. Uh, didn't ask. I don't I don't I'm not angry at it. It's not like it's not like the last thing where somebody wants to be on the show and right. spells everything wrong. <laughs> right. No. no. This is from your school, and and I like the initiative that uh, Jaden yeah. shows. You yeah. know, that's uh, yeah. that's great. Look and looking out for somebody and, else. And what is true is at schools like Binghamton that do not have football programs, the only possibility for revenue are the basketball programs. Mm-hmm. They sell seats. Nobody sells seats to a golf match. Doesn't work that way. Nobody watches the golf matches in college. Believe me, parents watch. That's all that watches. Um, so, am I going to do it? No, of course I'm not. <laughs> but I actually, I'm thinking of, of talking to Harvey Stenger about this, the president. Yeah, trying to figure it out. Yeah. Say, so, you know, it's it's such a cool idea. We're on the bag. I am sponsored <laughs> by Tony Kornheiser. It's not quite the Doctor Biley Court, but you know, it's it's close right. second. Now, if I was Sean Colella, I would not want a bag that said that. <laughs> I, me personally, I wouldn't want a bag that said that. But I mean, golf, you know, what, what does golf need? Let me explain what golf needs. You have your own clubs. Well, golf needs golf balls. They give you golf balls. They give you shirts. They give you pants. They give you shorts. They give you a windbreaker. That's what they give you. This is, golf is not a real big expensive deal. Now, it is expensive in the sense that if you travel to a tournament, that's what I was going to ask. Yeah, but you're an in, but okay, but you're an intercollegiate sports team. That money should be in the athletic budget. They shouldn't have to go beg people for money to send their kids on a trip. They shouldn't. Now they said, and if you want to be in the Big Sky, which is insane to me, isn't that, that, that Binghamton? Isn't it's that in West? Utah. Okay, <laughs> that's in, so. That's more than a bus ride. You know, that's a flight, isn't it? The Big Sky tournament was in Arizona. Was in Arizona. Yeah, the Binghamton kids had to go a long way to do that. So that there's an expense there. But again, I would think that would be budgeted for. But if I can help with that, I'm happy to help with that. Do I want to? I don't know Sean Colella. I'm sure he's a sweet kid. Yeah. I'm sure he's a great student. But I don't really know him. So I don't really want to 
send a check that says, hey, give this to Sean Colella. <laughs> right. I, I don't really yeah. want to do that. You got to do a little due diligence first, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, it was another kid that, that finished second, whose name, of course, escapes me at the moment. But this is a wonderful ask, isn't it? It is. It's a wonderful ask. It is, because again, it's not saying, hey, I need this for me. Yeah. This for, is for, yeah, for a comrade Probably at the school. Wonderful. I will take a break. When we come back, Bob Ryan will join us. The Celtics uh, <laughs> got into the NBA Finals. They were ahead sufficiently most of the game. It got very close at the end. Jimmy Butler went up for a three that could have turned the game around and yeah. did not. He missed the threes. He probably the only shot he missed all game. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is sent to us by Tom Rush. He writes, my name is Tom Rush. No, that, not that Tom Rush of 60s songwriting fame. I'm a lyricist. Listening to your recap of the Derby, I sit here smiling. Victorious long shots remind me the seemingly impossible is at times possible. You look at the world around us, and sure, it might be a bit of a stretch to apply lessons of the sports world to global conflicts, but we're seeing that play out in Ukraine as well. It's difficult to see that in our current global and domestic climate. But I try to remind myself that in the end, the plan of the universe is good. The scales will level, the pendulum will stop at violence swinging from left to right, and sometime in the future, settle still in the middle. Raised in Northern Virginia, I grew up reading your columns in the Washington Post as a youth. I often say there are three people who influenced my humor through their artistic expressions. Bill Waterston, Jim Henson, and you. It wasn't just your sports columns. I looked forward to your takes on our shared world of the DC bubble and the style section. I didn't get it at all. I didn't get it all as a stupid seven-year-old, but I still found it funny. For me, that's what I enjoy most about your podcast. Each episode is a wonderful blend of both kinds of columns I grew up on. If nothing else, I wanted to thank you, your son, and the entire team for capturing that in each episode. We will play two songs by Tom Rush today. This is called Halfway, and it plays in Bob Ryan, the quintessential American sports writer. And last night, when I sat down to write questions, I had no idea who was going to win. No idea. Um, whether Boston would win or whether Miami would win. In my mind, I thought Boston would win, and the reason I thought that was because the home court had meant almost nothing in this particular series. And a couple of weeks before, Boston had gone to Milwaukee and won a Game 7 on the road. I wonder your thoughts, Bob, on this Celtics team right now that has advanced to the finals and, and what you have seen from it, particularly in the second half of the season. We have seen growth, team unit growth, individual growth, collectively growth, 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 growth. Yeah. It probably includes the coach. Uh, who uh, was getting was doubted in in December was doubted when they were three games under five hundred in January and uh, and people wondered if the, if he was in over his head and people wondered when will Tatum finally figure it all out to 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 calibrate his his talent to know when to shoot when not to shoot uh, when 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 to defer uh, when to when to assert himself. Uh, uh, and when would Brown stop turning it over? And when would, you know, when would Robert Williams get healthy enough to stay on the floor? Uh, uh, and and when would Marcus Smart actually 
act as a real point guard. These were all questions in the middle of January that, that have been, I think, sufficiently answered. Uh, and, and the way they've done this, that was like last night, that was one of the uh, craziest wire-to-wire wins. That was a wire-to-wire win. It was, they got off to a 9-1 start. The game was never tied. It was only right. down to two twice, right. once in the last minute. Uh, it was a shaky wire-to-wire, but as you pointed out, it was a road victory, and that means twice now in this march to the finals, they have uh, won a road game, uh, a seventh game in the road, and, and that's something that uh, no Celtic team, and I'm not sure if any other team, I haven't, I haven't had a chance to research that, but I, have no, I know of no Celtic team that won two seventh games en route to a finals. I will say this, if, it go, if the finals go seven, that's on the road, too, for the Celtics. Golden State will host one, two, and, you know, and five and seven. Um, yeah, yeah. Such a so tough not, series. They're not phased by that. Right. Such a tough series to predict. I mean, honestly, Bob, Miami was so terrible in games four and five, so terrible that I could not personally imagine them winning game six. I could not. How about you? And they did. How about you? Jimmy Butler rose, lifted them. If anyone doubts that, that on occasion a superstar in that game of five guys and one ball can, can have a disproportionate effect on the outcome, they, they, they saw Exhibit A in, in, those, uh, uh, in, the, in Game 6 with Jimmy Butler. He lifted them. Um, they, they played off his energy. They, they responded to him. Uh, he, he deserves full credit. He, he, was, he didn't get it done in the end. He didn't have enough support, but, boy, uh, he was noble uh, to get them there and uh, uh, give him full credit. Uh, no, I, I, they were awful. They were, but then the Celtics awful. were awful. And it, it, the two, you know, they had, remember, they won 13 of the first 16 periods that were played in this series. Yep. And when, it was, and when they, the two, two or three periods they lost, they lost horrendously by 25 points. So how do you figure that in the, in the midst of, of the, the, the good play that they had? It, it, it was, it, it's going to be, really, if you examine this series, it's one of the strangest series, certainly one of the strangest seven-game series uh, in, in, in history, really. That's how I feel. The, the, home, you know, the home court meant nothing. It actually uh-huh. meant nothing. Do you recall anything like that? Well, in 1974, uh, the Celtics and Bucks engaged in a fascinating series in which the last five games were won by the road team. Ultimately, the, the winner was the Celtics in Game 7 in Milwaukee. So that's my one reference point of, of it. I'm sure um, uh, that there may have been others that escaped my attention in the ensuing 48 years. Yeah. Uh, that, but that's one I can cite, and I lived through it, and I, I, was, I was younger and excited, and uh, you know, I was giddy with excitement, frankly, covering that series. And, and, uh, but that, that was a, a, you know, we weren't, and that, in those days, you thought the home court was sacrosanct, and that blew up in everybody's face then. And then we settled back into more routine behavior, I guess, and this, this uh, turned the clock back. Yeah, my thought about, about home court is you're better off having won a game on the road before you get to game seven. You don't want to put yourself in a situation where you've lost three on the road and have mm-hmm. to win this one. And in this series, that was true for both teams. They won on the road a lot. What, let's look at Miami for a second. I think Miami is a well-run team and a really well-put-together team. I think they're a good team. But what does it say to you that the last two games at home in Miami that they needed to win, they could not? Um, 
I, I don't know. I mean, you, you have to factor in the opponent. Uh, also, shooting, I don't know the final numbers. I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm up here in Maine. I'm, uh, right now I, have, I don't even have, my internet isn't working yet this morning. Uh, so I don't even know the final numbers. But I know that they, they, had, they were 7 for 45 on threes in one of the losses. And, uh, you know, the, the world has gotten so three-point dependent. And, and mm-hmm. you know, uh, I was kidding uh, earlier in the week. I said, it's going 7. And if you can tell me which team will make 22 threes and which team will go 7 for 45 or, or 4 for 33, which, uh, then um, I'll tell you who's going to win, jokingly. Well, we did go 7, and, and I don't know what the numbers were, but I suspect that the Miami didn't get much done on the three-point shot in the category world. The game is just so different, Tony, and it's so dependent on the three. People have slave, are slavish to it, and it's changed the nature of the game dramatically. But to answer your question, I, I don't have a definitive answer, except, uh, except that you know, the, the opponent, the Celtics were a good road team this year, and, and general terms, uh, I don't know. I, I just don't know about maybe these. Maybe there's just a special group, perhaps. I don't know. I will yield to you completely on this because your knowledge of basketball and your reporting on basketball is far greater than mine, basketball and baseball. I find I have found the playoffs to be largely unsatisfying. Uh, this was a close game at the end, but wasn't a close game throughout. Um, I, I don't know. I like close and late. I, I root for close and late. I got that last night, but, you know, not for most of the game. Have you found these playoffs unsatisfying, or am I wrong here? I am well aware that that if if any neutral watching some of these series is is bored and and, and disappointed. And and, uh, and I uh, I look at the Dallas... Series uh, when, in which the first uh, four uh, against in the first four of Golden State, they played four consecutive games, in which were decided decided by twenty five points. Yeah, yeah. And they won two and they lost two. Uh, that, that's not compelling stuff for the, if you're if you're not a, in, in mostly involved with either of those teams. The, the, same, the same people were saying the same thing about this series. Uh, it, it wasn't compelling. Uh, you, you, you know, right in the end, you want competition. You want yeah. to see the, the greatness. Outdo greatness, or and at least they're very good. Outdo very good. Yeah, you you don't want uh, complete routes uh, if you're neutral. No, I agree with you. I don't think it was a. Uh, I'm sure it wasn't a very interesting series for people who weren't emotionally attached to either team. I, I find that about every series that I've seen so far. I mean, I thought the best series was Boston Milwaukee. I thought that was the best of them, but I haven't. Well, let's get to the Warriors because the Warriors find themselves back yeah. in the finals. And everybody yells and screams about the Warriors and, and their big three players. And Kevin Durant came and left and yada, yada, yada. What do you think of the Warriors against the Celtics? Oh, I, the Celtics I are the, big I and strong. It, I love the fact that they're back. I respect yeah. that trio, that those three guys. I, I, there's so many subplots here, um, <coughs> starting with Clay Thompson having missed two full seasons yeah. and, and, and then coming back as, as wonderfully as he has and now I'm um, um, a good guy, a, a worthy player, Hall of Fame player to be. Uh, I'm, I'm just happy these. I'm happy for them. I really am. Uh, they, 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 they waited for Godot, namely James Weissman. He never showed up. They, they said yeah. okay. And Kevon Looney, Kevin Looney, however, uh, has uh, emerged uh, and given them some, some stability in the middle. Uh, but the core trio is going to go down as one of the great threes in history. You know, they're going to go down, and they should go down in that, in that vein. Uh, Curry, Thompson, and, and, and the uh, intriguing Draymond Green, who, you know, remains a, a character, uh, you know, with his big mouth and his 
and, and, and all that. But, but he, he is a special kind of glue player. He's one of the all-time guys doing what he does, which is a little bit of everything, not to mention whatever he does in the locker room. Uh, and and there's, how about we got a dream matchup of those two guys, and, uh, and, and, and he and Horford. And, and uh, Horford doesn't have that kind of personality as his own kind of personality, but, but he brings the same kind of versatility and, 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 and you know, glue guy stuff to the Celtics that Draymond Green brings to the Warriors. Um, Warriors have gotten an emerging new star in, in Wiggins. Uh, which is nice, uh, and they're going to get uh, Gary Payton uh, two back, I believe. So they're going to be whole. I want everybody whole, Tony. I want. I'm, yeah. I don't like. I don't like the what ifs. I want them all whole. Uh, Celtics appear that they're you know smart and Brown. I mean smart and uh, Williams three, depending on anything how else it happens right here. No, but back to it's going to be a, a, should be a good series. By the way, the Celtics over the last couple have well, of course, the Warriors were down two years ago. But they have played. They played them well this year. They actually beat them, and and I think they they have confidence against this group. But they haven't played the Warriors as they are now. By the way, you know, with the full emergence of Wiggins and with with Thompson back the way he is, so this could be. Uh, uh, this shapes up to be a fair, good, uh, really good series. And I know Golden. I know Vegas has got the Golden State favorite for logical reasons. But uh, uh, this this has got to be at least a good six, if not a seven game series. I agree with you. I think Boston throws a lot of big bodies at you, and I think that Golden State is best when they're not big, and that will be troublesome for Golden State against Boston. And I, there's a part of me that wants to see Golden State win just so we can say, yes, Kevin Durant is a great player, yeah. but they won before him and they won after him. So get off me oh, with Kevin Durant. That's how I look at it. You're hardly alone. You're hardly alone. Uh, Durant has, you know, right. I think there's a lot of people that feel that way. I think they're eminently rootable. I mean, I root for them. You know, I mean, uh, when I yeah. watch them play, I always root for them. I admire Steve Curry. I admired him long before his spectacular soliloquy the other day. Uh, and um, and so, no, this is a, a nice battle. Uh, I think it really is. And and uh, uh, and I, don't, I as a, the fan part of me, you know, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm retired. You know that the, the fan part of me. Uh, can accept losing to some teams more than they can accept losing to others. I didn't want to lose to the Nets. That would have driven right. me crazy. I right. would have been okay losing to Milwaukee. I would have been okay losing to Miami, and I will be okay losing to Golden State. Uh, they, the Celtics accomplished their mission with me, Bob Ryan, when they got rid of the dastardly Nets. So uh, I'm, I've been playing with personal house money since then. Good. Thanks, Bob. Thank you. Okay. Talk soon. Okay, Enjoy, Maine. Enjoy. Do we want to ask Bob Bye-bye. about? Uh, oh, I guess he's gone. What? It's gonna ask. Remember, we get the email from the list, the listener that was like, "Hey, we called you." Oh, I forgot row. about that. That's my fault. I forgot to remind you about. Oh, I just yeah, remembered. yeah, yeah. I just remember. We'll we'll have so him on. So we called him at the press table and he answered the question. <laughs> yeah, it's about the next jersey time. number. Yeah, next we'll have him on before the end of the series. Sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, we'll take a break. Barry's Veluga joins us when we return. We're going to talk about, and I know it's local. I get it. The Washington football team. I get it. But he wrote a really interesting column the other day about how they are. Sort of floating in space. Nobody really wants them. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. 
Once again, Tom Rush sends us this music and he writes, I'm solely a lyricist and I rely on collaboration for my words to become song. Fortunately, I befriended a few musicians over the years like my old college roommate, Kevin Manning, who goes by the moniker Far Pines, who've helped take my words from paper and make them into something more. I'm eternally grateful for that collaboration and it's led me to current collaborations I could have only dreamed of years ago. Uh, the song Halfway is from an EP it put out a few years back. That was for Bob Ryan. This song is called Bunker, and it's going to play in Barry's Veluga. And he might, he also wrote, you might recognize the face on the cover of the album from the Kellogg's Cornflakes boxes of your youth. That's my Uncle Jim reminding you to never forget to eat your cornflakes, something I always seem to forget. Thanks again for all the humor you've contributed to my life and helping to promote musicians everywhere. Nigel, if people like Tom Rush want to send us their original music, which is collaborated with singing, how do they do it? Send it to uh, jingles at TonyCornagerShow.com. By the way, he mentioned in a note that he was from Williamsburg, Pennsylvania. If I'm not mistaken, uh, Williamsburg, Virginia. If I'm not mistaken, Bruce Hornsby is from Williamsburg, Virginia as well. Oh, I'll look that up. You could look that up. Barry Zreluga joins us now. And Barry wrote a wonderful piece about the Washington football team sort of drifting in space. <laughs> sort of drifting in space. You know, no real place to play, no real fan base, no real anything. You seem pessimistic about Washington football in that piece, Barry. Why would that be, Tony? I mean, <laughs> let's see. Um, in this century, which is now 21 NFL seasons old, or 22, actually, they have five winning seasons. They've won 10 games once. They have one playoff game, or one playoff victory this century. Um they are owned. The only thing that the fan base is really unified about is their <clears throat> just unvarying and unrelenting hatred of the owner. They play in a dump of a stadium that no one liked from the day it opened. And now um, they're looking for a place, a new place to play to build a, a great stadium that might inject some energy and excitement uh, into the fan base. And, they essentially have three jurisdictions, um, the District of Columbia, Maryland, and Virginia, that in a perfect world would be elbowing each other out of the way to try to say, no, us, it should be us, it should be here, we have this, we can offer you this, and instead are kind of going, eh, I don't know, if you go to the other place, that's fine with us. Um, so it's an urgent issue, um, and I'm sorry, I should also say that um, all of that, overlaying all of that, is the fact that the owner and the, the environment he created, the work environment he created, um, is again under investigation by the NFL, but also by Congress. So that um, provides another reason for um, officials, local state officials, to say, why don't, we, you know, why don't we let this play out before we dive into business with Daniel Snyder? They feel like, to me, a COVID cruise ship that cannot find a port that will take them in. That's what they feel like to me. I don't know. So, I mean, you know, I'm, go ahead. Well, I mean, I would, let me get my pencil to write that down, and I'll plagiarize <laughs> it gladly later yeah, on. Um, fun, yeah. yeah, but that, that is, that there is a, so people can say, you know, get emails afterwards, like, well, why are you tying in their stadium with the congressional investigation? Well, because they're tied together. Um, Nobody wants a COVID cruise ship to port at their port because it would potentially, you know, ravage the place with disease. No one wants to make a deal with Daniel Snyder 
and find out later that, you know, that there's more than we already know to the misogynistic environment that that he created that, you know, I'm not going to say what could have, but we don't know what the end result of these investigations are. So there's some urgency to find a site and get the deal done because the the team's um, contractual uh, obligation to play at FedEx Field runs out in 2027. Now that's not to, that's not to be mistaken for a lease. That's how long they have to play there. My, my bet is they're playing there in 2028 because we're standing here headed into the summer of of 2022. We have no earthly idea where they're going to put the stadium. They've got to put shovel in dirt at some point. It's going to, it takes um, probably about three years from the time they break ground to the time they can open. So the clock is ticking every day. And if you don't know what the specific nature of the stench around the owner is, um, those are just wasted days because people are not going to be jumping up and down to try to get in bed with him. I should I should say this. The the stadium is not his fault. The stadium was built by Jack Ken Cook, uh, hurriedly built by Jack Ken Cook, and Snyder inherited the stadium. So I don't blame him for how bad the stadium is, although the stadium is really bad. I mean, if you're sitting in a suite and raw sewage is pouring down, it's like not a good look. It's not a good look. Um, but people will say, well, why are you obsessing about this team? And my answer will be, when I came here, uh, it's like 43 years ago, 1979 is when I got here to Washington. And I came from New York and New York has two of everything. New York is, you know, but because it has two of everything, it doesn't have one dominant of anything. And you got to understand that when you got the, the Mets and the Yankees, when you got the Knicks and the Nets, you know, when you got the Giants and the Jets, one is going to take precedence over the other, but he's not, none of those are going to get Rangers and Islanders and devils at the end. None of them is going to be that team. And I got to Washington, and I went, wow. I know what that team is now. It's the Washington football team, whose nickname of that time I will not use. And and in discussions I had with a variety of sports writers, because the only people who talked to me were sports writers, we sort of determined that there were three places in the United States of America that had that team. One of them you could sort of discount because it was the Green Bay Packers. And although they were in the purview of Milwaukee, and Milwaukee had a baseball team, and Milwaukee had a basketball team, Green Bay was a special place. But Denver and Washington, Barry, Denver and Washington had all the teams, and the football teams in those cities were it. And that is, in your time here, you've watched a remarkable decline in the interest in what was an absolutely dominant franchise. Well, and that's exactly it, Tony. I mean, so I got here in 2003, and that was my experience, um, that the early years of that were, you know, oh, he's going to go get the ball coach and and have him coach, um, you know, the football team. And, and, And Steve Spurrier was as much of a disaster as that was, all eyes were on it. All yeah. eyes were on yeah. Joe Gibbs coming back. Oh, my God, he's the savior, and he's back. And it just was – it literally was – I mean, people say this, and it sounds apocryphal, but, like, if you weren't a fan of that team and they were playing at 1 o'clock on Sunday, 
that's when you were going grocery shopping because it was empty. And that's not an exaggeration. That is absolutely um, the way it worked. And so what we're talking about this morning, the, the search for a new stadium, fits into and fits rather neatly into the really broad story that is the erosion of what was an absolutely pillar of a franchise for the National Football League. And that's why, like, this is a local story, but there are 31 owners in 31 other NFL markets who, whose business is hurt because a, a pillar of a franchise is a, a fraction of what it once was. And the, the trend is not just has been down over over two decades, but continues to go down over, you know, into the foreseeable future because the owner is a problem. And I, I say that not because, not in a personal way and not in a mean way, um, although I have been personal and mean in the past, but in this case, you're trying to do a business deal. You're trying to make a, an economic and a civic development in one of these three places, Maryland, Virginia, or the district, um, that will be a benefit to the community, you hope, but take some hard deal-making because there's always this push and pull between public and private money and um, infrastructure and how are we going to get this done. And right now in this environment, because the owner is who he is and because he has what's going on around him going on around him, that can't happen. So um, it's, a very, it's, a, it's an entity that was far and away the, the lead entity in town, uh, a unifying force in a town that is always fractured, and it's not that anymore. And, and that, that matters. That totally matters. No, I agree with that. So my, people, I get this in conversation all the time. I'm not the only one who does, but I get it in conversation all the time because of what I do for a living. I'll be out chatting with somebody, golf course, and they'll say, well, they're going to get rid of Snyder. And my answer is always the same. I don't think so unless they have absolute direct linkage between the owner and some heinous act. And it's not going to be economics because they all do that. They all cheat economically. Then, you know, it's, it's going to have to be social. It's going to have to be cultural. That's my feeling. And what I would ask you is, do you think they want, and they meaning the NFL, from Roger Goodell and down in the circles that he runs in, do you think they want to get rid of Dan Snyder? I, yeah, I mean, if, if you gave Roger Goodell truth serum this morning and said, would you rather have a league with Dan Snyder or without him, I, I, you might not even need to give him truth serum. I think you'd say, mm-hmm. no, I'd rather get rid of him. He's an enormous headache, and nobody in his own market likes him. And a way to change the not just the narrative, but the trajectory of the franchise would be to say, this guy no longer owns it. Here are the people who does. This is the direction they're going. Here we go. We're, we're, we're going. In a, it just feels different. But I agree with you that they can't just say, we don't like you. You're out. <laughs> they, have to have, yeah. uh, they have to have some sort of direct evidence of, as you said, that, that is not, it's not going to be the culture he created. It's going to no. have to be Him. he did X. And so right. then it's this, you know, 
Are you? I, I would say that I don't think Roger Goodell this morning is waking up saying, I hope Daniel Snyder did something that's so heinous that we have to get rid of him, because that would be embarrassing for the league, and there would be some degree of cover-up, and then it would mean that the first league investigation was not thorough enough. I mean, I think that's that's bad. I think probably they would like to somehow get a stadium deal done um, and, and just not have the, the, the huge embarrassment um, it would be to have some sort of revelation that's as bad as um, that would be necessary yeah. for, uh, for an ownership change. I know I'm going to say something now that's terrible. I mean, people don't want to hear this. What is the life like for him and his family? I mean, nobody, you don't hear a good word. I had a good relationship with Dan Snyder when he first bought the team. I really did. I don't have any relationship now, but it's not a bad relationship. We just don't ever see each other. But I, you know, it, it's, yes, he's very, very wealthy. And yes, he has a yacht. Okay, but nobody likes him. Right, Barry? It's like sad. It's his own doing, but it's still tough for a family, I would think. You would think so. Um, and right, you don't want to turn this corner to, um, you know, making him a sympathetic figure because no, he, he he's has not. created this. Yeah. Uh, but but you're right. I mean, you know, I've been around this town long enough to know, you know, other people who are involved in, in sports here um, at all levels. And you just don't find that, like... Um, Oh, but he did this, or oh, but he did that, or you guys give him um, too hard a time because X, Y, and Z. And I'm not no. discounting, you know, the, the franchise's charitable work or Tanya Snyder's work with breast cancer research and fundraising. There are good elements there, but we talked about this when we talked about the national sale. Um, ownership of a sports team, it, there is a civic element to that, and that means being involved in the community, being out in the community, being part of yeah. the community, being, yes. being yes. understanding the community. And, and Dan Snyder, who I think initially when, when he bought the team, when you got to know him, um, wanted to be in that kind of mix. And uh, maybe I'm wrong about that because I came kind of shortly thereafter. Um, but now he's walled off. He, he, his actions yes. have walled him off his, um, his, uncomfortableness with the spotlight and with speaking in public has walled him off the the disastrous on the field performance of the team has walled him off and now ultimately um his actions and that have led to these investigations have walled him further off um he's not part of the community he's he's an outlier he's offset from the community and the community is there with pitchforks and torches um almost constantly so that's got to, he 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 loves this team he wants nothing more than success for this team um but he's he's led it down this path and and yes. um it's got to be uncomfortable you got it he's in exile even when he's here he's in exile it's lousy barry thank you thank you Appreciate it, Tony. Thanks very much. It's local, but I like doing it every once in a while. Barry's Verluga, boys and girls. Read him in the Washington Post. Great columnist. We'll take a break. We will have uh, email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, 
interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony's mailbag got your email faxes and your notes. Here comes Tony's mailbag. Gonna read some for all you folks. Thank you, Gary. Nigel, you want to do the Bethesda bagel ad? Yes, before I get to that, you were correct. Bruce Hornsby, Williamsburg. Well done. I knew I knew that. Bethesda Bagels, uh, we love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. Uh, that'll do it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say, because he gets up in the morning and he goes to work at 9 and he comes back home at 5.30. He gets the same train every time because his world is built around punctuality. It never fails. And he's oh, so good. And he's oh, so fine. And he's oh, so healthy in his body and his mind. Those are the kinks. That's a well-respected man. That's fabulous lyrics. Thanks to our guest today, Bob Ryan, Barry's Verluga. Thanks to today's sponsors, Framebridge and Shopify. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. From Larry Shoemaker, on the subject of close encounters with celebrity, here's one when the woman to whom I'm related to by marriage sort of saved the life of an A-list movie star. It was 1989 and the great director in Kansas City native Robert Altman was shooting one of his lesser known films, Mr. and Mrs. Bridge in his hometown. My wife was driving along Westport Road when an older gentleman stepped off the curb and began crossing the street with his head down. She had to slam on the brakes to avoid running over this idiot who finally looked up and glared at my wife with a pair of stunning blue eyes. And yes, that was the day my wife almost killed Paul Newman. (laughs) Great story. From Rami Kandel, you asked about meeting famous people on a flight. About 10 years ago, I was getting off United flight into Houston, and I realized the man sitting behind me was the one and only Carl Lewis. Yes, that Carl Lewis. At first, I thought, do not bother him, but then I realized it was Carl Lewis, and he would love to be recognized. As I got my carry-on, I said, Mr. Lewis, what an honor it is to meet you. I was in Atlanta during the Olympics. I saw you race. It was a great experience. He replied, thank you, proceeded to tell me the following. You know, after I won, you're only supposed to take one victory lap? And I nodded yes, but really had no idea what he was talking about. (laughs) He said, well, I took two laps, and you want to know why? I, of course, said, yes, I want to know why. And he said, because someone told me to take another effing lap, so I took another (laughs) effing lap, because I won and I was in Atlanta. Everyone around us started laughing. Thanks for all the enjoyment over the years. From David Epstein in uh, New York, New York. In 2003, I was staying at the El San Juan Hotel in Puerto Rico when the Mets were playing a regular season series against the Expos. The hotel was full of legends. Mike Piazza was the Mets catcher, Frank Robinson, the Expos manager, Tom Seaver, a Mets broadcaster. But as a son of parents from Brooklyn, none of that prepared me for the moment. While I was waiting for the elevator, the entire Wilpon, who used to, Fred Wilpon, used oh, to own right. the Mets, yes. clan came over and filled the first car to arrive, leaving me and two other guests to settle for the next car. The three of us stepped inside, and that's when I realized I was in the elevator with a woman and her companion, Sandy Koufax. <laughs> Sandy pressed six, I pressed five, and I realized I only had four floors to think of something to say. So thinking fast, if not clearly, I looked him in the eye and I said, excuse me, can I shake your hand so I can tell my mom? <laughs> Sandy put out his hand, I shook it, said thank you, was on my merry way, and yeah, I called my mom. <laughs> From the great Dan Byrne. In the late 80s, I was teaching tennis. Did we know Dan Byrne taught tennis? <laughs> I knew he was a fan of tennis, but I, I'm not, I, I wasn't was teaching tennis in a park in Encino, California. One day I saw a really, really tall guy hitting three courts down. A couple days later, I saw him again, but this time he was sitting by himself waiting for his partner. So I said, hey, Wilt, you want to hit? So we hit. 
He could take one step and cover half the court. I felt like I was eight years old. A couple of days later, I saw him again. I said, hey, Wilt, you want to hit? And this time he said, well, how about those lessons? We could do that, I said. So that's how I came to be giving tennis lessons to Wilt Chamberlain. <laughs> we did about six lessons, mostly on his net game and his serve. One time someone walked by and yelled something about Bill Russell. This wasn't Boston. It was L.A. He must have had to hear about Bill Russell every day of his life. I will tell you that when someone of Wilt Chamberlain's size and strength hits a serve with proper technique, the results are pretty impressive. That's, Dan Byrne. It's amazing. From Steve Mulholland in Minneapolis. On an evening flight from Minneapolis to L.A. circa 2010, I sat across the aisle and up one row from Prince. Yes, that Prince. He was in 3B, I was in 2C. As you may know, Prince Rogers Nelson was a very private and enigmatic person. For the yes. duration of the flight, I held steadfast in my effort to refrain from looking in his direction for fear of turning to stone. But somewhere over the Rockies, Prince got up to use the restroom at the front of the cabin. When he returned to his seat, I couldn't help myself. I had to look up. Our eyes met for a millisecond, and he grinned ever so briefly. <laughs> it doesn't sound like much of an encounter, but it was as close as I was going to get to partying like it was 1999. <laughs> from our dear friend Elliot Olshansky, we wish him every good thing in the world. From Comac. Your confusion about the number of Isley brothers is understandable. After all, when Ronald, Rudolph, and O'Kelly Isley founded the group in the 1950s, eventually adding younger brother Vernon, and the group later expanded to include Marvin Isley, Ernie Isley, and Rudolph's brother-in-law, Chris Jasper, you might also be interested to know that Jasper and the two younger Isleys perform with their older brothers on weekends while attending CW Post College at Long Island University, now known as LIU Post, where at least one of them was a contemporary of the woman to whom you're related by marriage. Best regards from Suffolk County, where my best celebrity transportation stories involve sitting across from the great boxing writer Burt Sugar on Metro North Railroad and next to Coldplay guitarist Johnny Buckland on the PATH train back from Red Bull Arena following a friendly between the Red Bulls and Tottenham Hotspur. From Ryan Coyle. In 2010, I was returning home on a small regional airline flight from D.C. to Charleston, West Virginia, with small being the operative word. Onto my flight and into the seat directly in front of me walked the former world's strongest man, Phil Fister. While he is certainly no Paul McCartney or Joe DiMaggio, the memory of a 6'6", 375-pound beast of a man navigating the confines of a 50-seater regional jet makes me laugh to this day. Best to eat a salizzle. From Mike Peebler. I play golf most of the time quite badly. As I'm not a well-to-do celebrity type and living in Los Angeles, I do most of my poor golf playing on the many muni courses that dot the landscape on the San Fernando Valley. In my neck of the woods, there's only one muni that has a driving range with real grass. The rest offer beaten-up mats that sit on concrete and make your wrists hurt after half a bucket of balls. So when I went to treat myself, I drove the extra 10 minutes to the driving range at Woodley Lakes Golf Course, which those in the know refer to around here as Widely Lakes because the fairways are so wide and forgiving. One usually shoots 5 to 10 strokes better here than anywhere else that has, you know, trees and rough. Anyway, I'm pounding away at my $7 bucket of balls on the half-grown grass when I hear a deep, familiar-sounding voice coming from the adjacent box. I look up. I see an extremely tall man with his back to me, cigar smoke surrounding his head, taking a swing. He definitely looks like an athlete from behind. As I'm staring, he turns around and, lo and behold, Scotty Pippen scaring me in the face. Cigar dangling from his lips and a smile on his face. And all I can think of in that moment is, why on earth is Scotty Pippen here? At this third-rate, beaten-down Muni driving range in the San Fernando Valley and not at Bel Air Country Club or Riviera. I could think of literally nothing smart to say in that moment other than, hey, to which he nodded, turned back around, and resumed hitting his beat-up range balls from 2002. So, yeah, for some reason, even the bigs sometimes play golf, where the littles do. From Mike O'Brien in Boston, Massachusetts, formerly Revere. <laughs> the year was 1995. I was 14 years old. Mickey Mantle had just died, and Mike Tyson was a week away from pounding Peter McNeely into Medfield, from Medfield, Massachusetts, about an hour from Revere. It was also the week my mom 
thought it was time to put me on a plane to Austin, Texas from Hartford, Connecticut to visit cousins I'd never met. While I had a fever and throwing up nonstop the day before and the day of the flight. If this happened today, I may have been shot on sight walking to the airport, but my mom told the ticket agent, he just gets nervous before flights. And they plopped me into a wheelchair and upgraded me to first class seats where I sat behind Charlie Steiner, who was on his way to Vegas for the flight. I then continued to throw up during the flight, coughing and sweating profusely. Charlie, about 40 minutes into the flight, stood up and looked at me and then pointed to an empty seat a couple of rows up and gave me a thumbs up toward, gave a thumbs up towards the stewardess and moved there. I still can't believe ESPN didn't get him a direct flight to Vegas. <laughs> From Rocky Rakovic in Jersey City. Years ago, during the pre-take-your-shoes-off era, I was at a small airport waiting to board a plane for Cabo. Just ahead of me online, or is it in line, was Lenny Kravitz. He was strikingly handsome. He stepped up to the smiling female TSA agent who patted him down. And kept patting, and kept patting, and kept smiling, and patting, then let him go. I stepped up, and she said, you can go through. From Jack Snyder in Fugonarola, Spain. Early 1970s, I was with my friend Frank at the Forum in Englewood, California, to watch boxing great Jose Napoles, nicknamed Montequilla, butter, referring to his smooth boxing style. He's frequently ranked as one of the greatest fighters of all time in that division with a career record of 81-7 and and 54 KOs. We had second row seats, very excited to be so close to watch this boxing great, when the seat in the front row directly in front of us sat Elvis, that Elvis. He turned to acknowledge the crowd, and when he looked our way, we nodded hello but left him alone to watch the bout. Afterwards, Elvis was standing in the back of the arena, surrounded by his guys for protection. When he saw us, he told his guys, let us through. And we had our chance for a personal moment with Elvis to express our unabashed admiration for the king. A lifetime highlight we were afforded by respecting his personal space. A lesson for life. One more from Scott Feist in New Baden, Illinois. Flew to Saint, from St. Louis to JFK in Germany. Flew from St. Louis to JFK to Germany in 2010 to see my daughter stationed there in the United States Air Force. Sat next to my wife for 30 years at the time. Wasn't my choice. It's funny. <laughs> if you're out on your bike tent, everyone is always do wear white. But I still need a bit of milk, full fat, which I've warmed in the micro wave. <laughs> Tires and tubes for sale at a roadside Texaco. Dirt and gravel, exchange for paved asphalt. A hitcher hiking home, hailing help with his thong. In younger days, someone would come. Coca Cola, five cents a pop. Chevy and Buick, why not? Horse gamblers, farriers, wait and see. No bets on number three. No one claims victory. No spoils, no crown, no king. But one of them leaps out from the sea. Portly man with what appears a confident grin. He leans over and whispers to me. Look at all this fun. The plan of the, the universe must be good. 
child of a mother of colors bright here in sleepy town a tavern at the dividing line halfway and halfway between where i was and where i will be the bottles of booze playing loudly Trying to create a safe 
Feel. 